Welcome to Car Wash, the podcast, your source for real stories and real business insights from the experts, both in and out of the car wash industry. So put it in neutral, feed off the brakes, and take your hands off the steering wheel. Here is your guide on this journey, Car Wash Magazine Editor-in-Chief, Matt DeWolf. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Car Wash, the podcast. This is the podcast that makes you a better car washer and a slightly better human being. Now, in today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about some things that can maybe make you a better human being, but this one's going to be all focused on better car washing, acquiring customers, and making sure that you're leveraging data in smart ways, uh, and in fact, actually leveraging the data. So we're going to get into that, but you know, you guys can listen to me talk all day long. Uh, but it's kind of like when you hear things from your parents too much, and then somebody else tells you, sometimes you got to hear the things from other people. And so we're going to bring on somebody really smart uh, to talk to you all today. We've got uh, Neil Hoyne. Neil is uh, the chief measurement officer at Google, and he is a senior fellow at the Wharton School of Business. So he's going to come on. Uh, he's got a great new book out as well. I've started reading that. Uh, you all should as well. We'll give you the, the name of that book here in just a minute. But without further ado, Neil, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hey, so this is like, I mean, I I saw your bio way back when, when we started doing programming for the Car Wash Show education stuff. And I got really excited because I think that what you're going to talk about today and what you're going to speak about at the show and what you speak about in your book is something that this industry has been so far behind on for so long <laughs> that we we got some work to do. And so I'm excited for you to be on today. Let's just start with... Um, let's start with a little bit of a, a story that you start with in your book about, about a female who goes into a store, she's looking for a nice pair of shoes yep. and what that, what that's like for her. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a little context of it. So for my role, a lot of people think measurement and data, I sit behind a yeah. desk and I just look at spreadsheets, which is part of my job. But there's a fantastic quote that I reuse in the book from uh, author John Lacare, who's, you know, the desk is a dangerous place to view the world. I like to be out in the field to see how these things come to life. And there's this one particular case early in my career, as you mentioned, a woman buying a pair of shoes that just always sticks with me because we can learn so much from it. And effectively what it was is just a woman came into a retail store and she was interested in buying a, a pair of heels. Now, I admit that I don't, I have six pairs of shoes. My wife has 60. So whenever I bring up a woman buying a pair of shoes, I immediately say I am the least qualified person to comment on it. But I can tell you what I observed, which was, you know, pair of heels. They were black patent leather, some silver embellishments, retail price, somewhere, you know, a couple hundred bucks. I wouldn't do it personally, but she seemed interested in it. But as with a lot of buyers, put it down and left. And that's not uncommon, especially for retail. You only see about three or 4% of people buying that. They like to look at products. But what made her so interesting was that she came back. Same shoes, same curiosity. Ah, but then didn't buy. Came back a third time, a fourth time. Now that's typically when we talk about retail buying, fourth time is kind of the limit, right? That's where, yeah. but she came back a fifth time, a sixth time. A tenth time. Now, this starts to turn into what I like to joke about is this is the same reason why guilty pleasure for my wife and I is watching reality TV shows, like reality dating shows. Like you're looking at like these people are terrible for each other. It's going to be a train wreck. Let's see how it happens. And it was the same case yeah, totally. because now 50 times, 60 times, and, and you know, 100 times, same pair of shoes, 200 times. 
Now, finally, 263 visits. This person finally buys the pair of shoes. Now, I can't claim to exactly what, how anybody has that amount of time, and this is in a 14-day <laughs> period, by the way, to look at shoes that often. But what I was surprised about was how little the business knew about that behavior. Because what they were treating is, they were treating us, every interaction is an interaction. It's an opportunity for a purchase. And if it doesn't work out, that's fine. We just count them up. It's about volume. And so at the end of it, I said, what did you learn about this particular customer? Because this is an amazing story. This was like, what, what do you mean? I was like, well, what do you know? And they're like, well, they, they pulled a CRM record. And they're like, ah, ah, here, here she is. Yes. Uh, one visit. Oh, we sold the shoes. Uh, they were on sale. So we made $30. I said, great. If you count up the amount of time and the amount of money that you spent earning that $30, what would you say? They're like, well, what do you mean? They're like, we visited and bought. It was marginal. I was like, no. I was like, over the past 14 days, you spent so much money on this particular customer that you lost money. Because every time she came back, the way that you were built was that you said, ah, she must be even more interested in these right. products. We'll continue right. to invest. We'll continue to spend. And in the end, what we find out is that people that exhibit this behavior aren't a lot. It's only about 1% or 2% of the business, but they start to show the weaknesses in how businesses understand their world. Individual interactions, individual transactions, not people as people to say what happens over time. And the reason why the story just is so vivid and sticks in my head is as just that reality of a blind spot that a lot of business owners have, that when they look at things in terms of their metrics... They look at short term. How many things did we sell? How much money did we make today? And they lose all the opportunities that come by piecing together multiple visits and multiple stories together. To say, if I were to point this story to you, to say someone behaved in a certain way, would you tolerate it as a business? Would you do something different? Would you offer them a different product, a different service, a different message? Say there was somebody that came by 200 times a year and that was their pattern and then they yeah. disappeared. Would you notice that they were gone or would you just see your volume decrease by one person, by one customer? And so it just kind of frames a story to say, a very visceral example to say that these stories are unfolding with your business. It's just a question of whether businesses are paying attention to it. Well, that's fair. And, let, and so let's apply that to the car wash space, right? Mm -hmm. Because um, a lot of times what folks are doing in this industry when they go to measure success is they're looking at uh, how many cars do we wash? Um, how many, um, unlimited memberships did we sell today or did we sign up? And then how many did we lose? Like do, what's our churn rate? So when you think about that, and if you're not going beyond those simple, those very simple metrics, now don't get me wrong. Like I'm all for having simple metrics so you can actually measure it and actually put goals to it, but you're missing a giant part of the story there. You are when you, yeah. Well, I mean, so go there, like go there with me. So what should we be doing with that? Like, what should we be measuring? Like, I mean, it's not bad to say, no, man, I'm excited. No. We washed a ton of cars today. It's, it's not bad at all, but let's, let's talk a little bit. I'm not a historian, but I do know the history around it. Generally speaking, when we look at business performance, there's always that quest for immediate accountability. Why? It's easier. We spent this amount of money. We saw this response. It's a beautiful thing yeah. just to measure, but it forces us to make very short-term decisions. Now, what the assumption is, is the assumption is that we can convince someone to do something in that moment. So for instance, if we're selling a membership, we're gonna convince them at that time to send the moment and everything else that came before and everything after that point doesn't matter. 
And that's what we see with that woman buying a pair of shoes is that these stories add up. There's an accumulation, there's an effect. And there's even customers that will act in ways that you don't necessarily think are rational. And to be specific, I'll give you an example. Uh, there's an airline that I happen to fly with. Now, I don't really fly with this airline a lot. I don't use frequent flyer programs. I'm not recognized as a loyal traveler for them at all. But I spend a lot of money in the category. And so I had a conversation with them and I said, well, what do you know about me? And they said, well, we, we don't think you're valuable at all. Is it because I haven't spent money with you or because I'm not valuable in the segment? And so if you knew that it was your first time seeing me in six months and that I'm spending, say, $100,000 in travel and that I have a huge upside potential for your business, and here's your one shot to impress me, what does your model say? And they're going to say, well, we see you as one ticket. We've never seen you before, so you're going in the back of the plane, boarding group 50. We can check your bags. You can check your bags at the door. We know you're not going to fit them on that plane. And I say, should that be the case? And they're like, no, if only we knew your story, if only we knew your history. And so what companies are starting to do is this. Is I'm not saying get rid of your short-term metrics. You need that to drive accountability. But I'm saying yeah. be curious about those stories that are unfolding, the way people are actually behaving with your business, and you will find some remarkable patterns. You will find some customers that are incredibly profitable, even if they don't buy into membership packages. They simply come by and they come by often. You will find yeah. some people that are loss leaders, that only come in with discounts and promotions, that never come back despite your best intentions. And you'll find some great customers that just kind of disappear and have been left behind because they're only looking at those short-term metrics. Now, the goal here isn't to be perfect about it. It's simply to acknowledge that it's happening. And I think more increasingly, I think individual industries kind of raise their hand and say, yeah, we're, we're bad at this. Every industry says they're bad at it. The retail example, the, the shoe buyer, they admit it. They're like, we are terrible at this. But it, what they just started with, and this is where everyone really begins their journey, is to acknowledge that it's happening. That some of your customers will be worth more than others. Just as in your life, some people will be incredibly valuable. Like I, My wife, I, I love, I will go to her for advice. Uber driver got me to the airport safe. I'm glad he did. If I have to make an important decision, I'm not going to be like, well, I have two friends in my life. <laughs> Let's ask them both <laughs> and average them. And yeah. so really, this is just about thinking about those relationships you have and how you might treat people differently based on the circumstances and awareness you have at each point. So let's let's dive into this idea then of how do you get the story, yeah. right? So um, the airline example is a really good one because they if they were smart with their data, they could they could reach out and use third-party data to like build that profile and build that picture of, of you and know that story coming into it, or at least have a good idea about it, yes. which could inform the way they approach all their customers, right? Um, but in, in our space, what are some things that we should be doing to make sure that we are seeing beyond the, the very short term? How can we get the right data and collect it and get the full story? So the process for a lot of people starts simply in saying this, that the advantage that smaller businesses have, generally smaller businesses are the first to apologize. We don't have data science resources. If only we could be like those large companies. True. But you also don't have the corporate overhead. You don't have the silos. You don't have millions of competing interests and investors on Wall Street who are fighting for one metric over the next. So acknowledge that this is actually achievable. The first thing to acknowledge is to say that people are behaving in these interactions. And so for a lot of companies, it starts with a very basic, if they do a CRM approach, fine. I work with some small businesses where they say, look, here's what we have. We know every customer, we have a name for them or license plate, and we know how much they spent on what days. And that's how we manage our business. And guess what? 
That data is enough to predict how those customers are going to behave over the next several years. It's crazy that that's how far machine learning and these models have come, that if you just have this information, you can then look at your customers and say, who are the really valuable ones that you need to pay attention to, and who are the ones that you can ignore? And that's step one, is just to, to yourself to say, with very simple data, you can actually predict who's going to be better for your business and not. Second thing you do, you figure out why. What makes somebody a great customer for your business? And not based on what you want them to do, but what are they naturally doing? Because they may come in and you may have multiple tiers of products. They may buy the cheapest product, but they may do it a lot of times. Or they may be very simple and low cost to maintain, or may just be they love clicking and reading on emails, but that's all they interact with you on. And so if you picture this as a spreadsheet, because I like using spreadsheets, they're interesting, simple visuals. Column one, you have however you define their name. Column two is, here's how much they're going to be worth to you in the future. And then what business owners do is they say, column three, what do we have? And so for some businesses, they say, we have a loyalty program. Let's yeah. see who, how that lifetime value changes if they're enrolled or not. Let's look at what products and services they came from. Let's see when they acquired them. Let's see what type of vehicle they drive. Whatever data you have slowly is added on to give you that picture to say, this is who loves you. And this is who you're struggling with. And then the third step of the process is very simple. It's just find a few more of those people. So if you find a particular promotion or a price offer is reaching your better customers and bringing more of them in, then you want to pay attention to that. Or if you find that one offer is bringing in customers that will come in and maybe it's a loss leading offer and you're like, we just want to bring them in. They're going to try us once and love us, but then we never see them. You may know to avoid those actions to say these products and services are not helping us bring in better customers. And that's all it takes. And now you're on that journey. Now you're in the top 5% of companies worldwide because you actually are thinking, what does that story look like? Just now, what does the transaction look like today? And it's just those three steps. Figure out who, figure out why, and then figure out how you get more of them. So this is really interesting because I think about the kind of the... the something we talk a lot about is promotional offerings and whether, whether we should do them, how much we should do them, how often it should happen. Um, and I think that there's a tendency to think, I just got to get wheels on the lot. I just got to get people on the lot and then I'm going to, then I'm going to convert them. I'm really going to do it this time. But to your point, like there's some people they're in that, they're in that, um, percentage of folks who are just never going to join a membership and they only came because of that discounted offer. Um, and then, but then guess what you're doing as a, if you're doing any, any kind of digital campaign on top of your efforts, if you're trying to follow them, you're following that customer <laughs> who's never going to make another decision to go. come back and see you. So it's like, what are you doing? You're chasing the wrong thing. There you go. And now you know where for a lot of people that are complaining, they're like, they're losing marketing money. It actually goes towards, we find in the data, a very small portion of customers who just, the more they engage with your business, because they only do it for loss leading products, the more money you lose. They're never going to change your behavior. Now, that's not to say, and again, borrowing from the airline example, on a typical airline, 10% of the passengers are going to drive upwards of 70% of the revenue. Hmm. Not bad. But you still have seats on that plane. <laughs> like You <laughs> right. still right. want to fill as many seats as possible. I'm okay with that. But what I do want to say is two things. Number one is to be aware of those compromises, to mean that, look, you have 200 seats on a plane. You want to fill all 200. But if you have the choice to bring in somebody that's going to pay a lot more, that's going to be great, you pay attention to them. Or if you're launching a marketing campaign, 
So let's picture that for a moment. On your plane, yeah. you want to launch a marketing campaign. You can go through and ask every passenger, hey, what do you love the most? And what are they going to say? Low fares. Yeah. And then you ask those 10% and you're going to be like, oh, I'm not paying for it. My business is paying for it. I just want to make sure you get me there on time. And so when you're planning and you're figuring out who to listen to, this is also going to help you to say, these are the people that you want to connect with, the people that are going to keep your business together. You want to make sure that you have messaging and promotions to reach them. And the third thing we'll talk about is this fanciful optimism because this is an important lesson. And I like I like to give guide, guide rails to say, you don't want to do this. Yeah. I, I And I equate a lot of things to human relationships. So you're going to see this about me. But if, if somebody comes in, if a good friend of mine comes in, it's like, I just met the perfect person. That's that's impressive. I'm going to be happy for you. And I say, okay. I say, so, so where are things going? It's like, and then the next thing out of his mouth is, but I just need to change them. I'm going to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, 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 no. Don't, don't do that. That's, you, you want someone like, you can do it. It's expensive. There's a lot of red flags that are come up. I'm going to be like, just find a good person early on. That's the optimism that I will point out a lot of companies do go astray with is they say, look, once they come in, once we acquire them, that's the hardest part that we can yeah. show them how great we are and they will fall in love with us. Yes, but it's probably not what you want to do. It's a lot easier yeah. to find people that naturally love you for who you are and what you offer first than to trying to change those people. Now, you can be optimistic. You can upsell them into different offers where it's appropriate. You can certainly launch new products and services that might appeal to those groups. But by and large, companies save a lot of time and frustration finding people that are a perfect match for them because they're going to stay, they're going to spend, they're going to talk about you to their friends, they're going to put up with price increases, they're going to demonstrate yeah. true loyalty as opposed to someone that's simply, hey, you, you know, they, they work for the moment. And, and you just want to make sure. And even if you do keep those people, even if you do keep those people, you're like, look, they're poor quality customers. I, I have a sense of optimism. That's fine. You just have to be able to distinguish that they're there. And so that way you're not bending over backwards for them and you're not crying if they leave. You're just kind of be like, hey, it was great while it lasted, but really my attention has to be on those people that are going to be with me for a lot longer. Yeah, and it, I think, and if you if you're gathering this data and you're paying attention to it, uh, it helps you. What we're really talking about is right sizing your resource and, and making sure that you're not overdoing it for stuff that's not going to bring you any value. Like, why do you want your your um, service attendant at your lot chasing that customer who's there on discount when they could be having a conversation with one of your unlimited members, talking and reminding to reminding them about the benefits and the experience, and just smiling at them and saying, "Hey, I hope you had a great visit." So that they can go get more people like that person. That's perfect. I mean, that's exactly, that's exactly what it. exactly what we get down the rabbit hole on. So there's a there's another thing that you um, a line that you have in your book that I just love, uh, and it's it's the more information you try to gather, the more you miss, and the more money you spend. So can you can you help us figure out? Yeah. <laughs> How do we prioritize which data <laughs> we're gathering? Like, because you, I, yes. it, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I want it all. Give me all the information. Yeah, me and then we're every, oh, the of story. course. Who yeah. doesn't? Who doesn't? So yeah. there, there's two things to unpack there. The very first one is for a lot of companies, I need to remind them to say, this data will not be perfect. It will never yeah. be perfect. And I'm surprised as to how many companies focus and say, we can't make a decision until we know everything about everyone perfectly integrated and cleaned up. And I say, no, that's that's never going to happen, first of all, because even right. if you know everything right. they do across every location, across every vehicle in their entire household, where's word of mouth coming from? 
Yeah. Right. How are you going to measure that at the same level? And you start to realize that the more you start capturing how much is being left behind. And so whether you need my permission or not for it, I'm going to give it to you. You don't have to capture hundred percent, right? Capture what you have. Don't obsess about the data collection. The second thing is to keep it into context to say your goal, right? Again, dating, dating references work so well here is to say <laughs> that if you're around a whole bunch of potential partners, right? People are looking like, I want someone like that. You don't need to be perfect. I mean, that's a nice ideal. We'd like to think that we want to be perfect. You just need to be better than everyone else in the room. Be like, they're, they're great. And, and that's really the goal with using this as well, is to say that a lot of companies get stuck just saying, I want to collect everything. And your goal shouldn't be to collect yeah. everything. Your goal should just be simply better than other places they could think of, other places they could go. And that's it, that goal of continuous improvement. Now, what do you ask and what do you capture? So when we talked about that process, as you noticed, it was very iterative to say, yeah. you're not collecting all the data before you start. You're starting with your transaction data. That will tell you who those customers are. And then what you do is you add column by column in that imaginary spreadsheet that gives you an insight about those customers. Now, what I generally suggest any company does is to start with those questions where they can make a meaningful change a signal that they could give someone. So for instance, vehicle type, does that change it? What they purchased on their very first visit, if they purchase a particular membership program. Oftentimes I work with companies where they'll capture a thousand different dimensions. And I'll say, all right, if this turns out to be true, what are you going to do differently because of it? Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, that's a good point. I, I don't know. And so what I really say is I say, start with those business questions. If your question is around a membership program or a loyalty program or the car, type of car they drive or the service that they use or the time of day that they come, if there is an action and you can think through this to say, if this turns out to be true, if people end up, if these people end up spending more money. So if you happen to find that your best customers are coming to you at 8 a.m. on a Saturday or whenever it is, and you know that, that makes you feel good. What are you going to do at 8 a.m. on Saturday that's going to capitalize on that. You can't start saying to everybody, you know, you may want to treat those people that come in at 8 a.m. better. You may want to have more people on staff. Or, you know, you really can't go to somebody and be like, look, we know you come in on Monday. Start coming in on 8 a.m. on Saturday. So you can, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So I encourage people to think through. But that's what makes this process so much fun is that notice we've separated and we've pulled back all the data. We're not talking about fancy models or applications of data or expensive advertising programs. We're saying, what are you doing in your business that you would change if you knew it was bringing in better or worse customers than if you didn't have it? And so take loyalty programs for an example. If I were to show you a loyalty program and say, we launched our loyalty program, we're spending all this money. And I say, guess what? The lifetime value, the relationship of the people that are part of your loyalty program is the exact same as the people who aren't part of your loyalty program, you need to have a conversation to say, is the loyalty program doing what it's supposed to be doing? Because people are behaving the same way. It's not really driving people to stay longer. And so is it really effective? And so we have to ask ourselves some of those questions. But that's the way that I look at it. Not necessarily a prescriptive rule book where I say, you have to capture these 40 things. But I say, yeah. use the data that you have as long as it's tied to something you could change a lever that you could pull on. I love that because it is, I mean, it can be overwhelming, right? For if you're trying to get into it and you're trying to figure oh, yeah. it out and you're like, I don't know, I don't know what to get. I'm going to get all of it. But if you can just, even if you just distill it down to, um, what can I collect that will change my decision-making process or what can, what can I collect that I will actually use? Right. Yeah. Like two simple things, just real simple, real straightforward, 
think put everything in that lens so that when the when you start thinking man it would be cool if i knew this run it through the filter so, That's so it. you know if you need yeah. to actually do that or not <laughs> And, and for some organizations, that can be very liberating, right? Because people will have yeah. their own questions. And one of the things that I stress in the book is the ability of people in your organization to ask those questions, to collect that data. And I don't want to understate the power of that, but I think that a lot of companies get a benefit because they can see how this process plays out. It's not where I'm going and saying, buy this software and the software will optimize your business for you. No, your right. business was already successful. The goal of this is simply to build on what you have just to give you a slightly different perspective on what might be driving true value for you. Yeah, I think that's super important. Um, so there's another, there's another direction I want to go here because it's another one of my passion points around customer journeys. Right. Mm -hmm. And so one of the, one of the things that we're, um, woefully, uh, ill-equipped to do in this industry is to have conversations with customers after they leave the lot. We do a great job on the lot. Customers are very happy with that experience. They have a clean car, they leave and they're happy. And then we kind of forgot that they were our customer and we don't do anything after the fact. So there's one school of thought, which is you chase them digitally, right? Mm -hmm. you, you just throw stuff at them at all, at all the customers. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are some tips for us to be able to like remarket and, and go after that journey in a way that is not going to be um, off-putting? Well, the first thing I'll point out, and I, I think that this industry has less of that problem because I'm not sure people need to clean their car the next day again, but mm -hmm. a lot of industries do target and remarket a little bit too aggressively. And again, using the personal relationship anecdote, it's like they're stalking them. It's like, hey, I saw you. I'm going to call you the next day, the next day. Hey, did you forget about me? Here I am again. And we actually see that when people see ads from businesses that they're interested in over 72 hours after that visit concludes their interest in that business, their the ability for them to purchase again actually decreases significantly, right? Mm -hmm. So when we talk even in the personal context, like, hey, give it two or three days, the same is very well true as to how you can do some of these campaigns. But the way that I always go back to it is twofold. One is with the understanding to say for people that you want to engage with and connect with, you certainly can use online advertising to do it. But online advertising is also like asking someone else for somebody's phone number. Right? They didn't give you that consent. And so the challenge I always yeah. have to programs is I say, how do you get that person's consent? How do you get them interested? Where they're like, I want to talk to you again. I want to share this information. Now, some companies throw out monetary discounts, which is fine. But a lot of companies think deliberately to say, what type of value is worthwhile that somebody wants to interact and to share their message or share their mobile phone number with me? That's number one. Number two is that you don't necessarily need to capture 100% of your customers. So a lot of businesses are upset to say, hey, only 20% of our customers are part of our program, only 20%. That's fine. Because oftentimes what you're going to learn about 20% of your audience is not going to be so uniquely different than 100%. And so if your goal is really just to learn and engage about how you can relate, you may not need 100% of people to participate. And the third is just to keep in mind that there are tools out there, and this is an emerging area, that allow you to survey and ask questions to the internet as a whole. Now, a lot of people think that they need their email address and they need people to do surveys. There are tools from Google, from SurveyMonkey, and dozens of other providers that allow you to effectively ask a survey question to the internet. And you can geofence it to be like, hey, how often do you get your car washed? What's the most important thing to you? Would you be interested in this promotion? Would this loyalty program, would you share your information under these conditions? Now, these are quick and simple programs, but the reason why I love them so much is that they inspire that curiosity. Oftentimes, people sit in offices debating, well, should we offer them this coupon or that coupon? 
those debates are never solved. Get the data. Just go out there and ask them. And by the way, this is like $50, $75 for a question. Let the data yeah. settle the bet to say, what's the ideal point? And now you can go test it. And so when I talk about having that ongoing relationship, one is certainly a respect as to where the consumer wants to play, how often they want to contact. But the second one is really figuring out how you get them to consent. Monetary is the easiest way, but it may not be the best relationship. Again, here's money. Will you go out with me? Yes. Do you like me? <laughs> no. But the money, sure. You know, on the other hand, if you're like, you know, do you want to go out to me? What can I do? Who do I have to be? How do I have to talk to you? And you're like, that's the type of customer I want. That's what I want to learn. I want to learn how to have that conversation with them. And again, the goal is not to be perfect here. The goal is simply to be more willing and more capable to have that conversation than the other options they have available to them. And that's enough. And then you win. That's so funny. I, I love the I love the tie to the personal relationship side. It, it works so well. I mean, it, there's some parts yeah, where it just goes off the rails, but it works so well because you start thinking like, <laughs> yeah, what would happen if I just started sending texts to this person I met yeah. last night and I do it the next day and the next day, you're like, that's kind of creepy. All right. So maybe I yeah. shouldn't do that. And the data supports it. You don't do that. It's not a good that's idea. That's funny. Hey Neil, I got a I got a question for you. Sure. Um, it what like is the data ever wrong? I mean, and if so, what do we do about it? Is the data? You ask all these questions. You you get all this information, and you you go for a thing based on that data, and it doesn't bear out, right? The, the survey lied. Yeah. They didn't tell you the oh, truth. Well, I, I will say this. I will say, that first of all, there are systemic issues with data collection that we acknowledge. For instance, uh, there was a survey one time where we asked people, what color is the red ball? 20% <laughs> of respondents said orange. Now, you're like, who would ask that question? Not, but maybe you ask, how did you hear about us? And if you had a variable in there, there's some businesses say, how do you hear about us? And they put TV in there knowing they don't advertise on TV. And they're still surprised to see 20, 30% of their customers say, I heard about yeah. you on TV. <laughs> no, you didn't. We recognize <laughs> that there's those issues with data collection. What I would generally say are two things. I would say one is the data that you want to use for your important decisions, such as a lot of the understanding of customers that we talk here. That's the reason why I like to tie it to money. Because if you know people yeah. paid, that's a pretty solid signal. Everything else past that point, you can do a certain amount to eliminate bias, to eliminate poor answers, to try to find people that are just clicking buttons. That will happen to everybody. But what you really want to be mindful of is to say that a lot of people will say, we'll let the data decide. The data never decides. There's always a certain amount of gray area and uncertainty on it. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be a certain amount of risk, which is why you want to test all these ideas. But you also looking to say what you see in the data will not be an absolute truth until you prove it. And so that may just take a little bit of pressure off of people to say, we don't need to capture 100% of the data. It's, some of that data is going to be incorrect, and you will need to test and prove it. And that's just kind of how I look at it. As I look at data as being a very nice advisor. That just happens to speak a little bit of a different language and is harder to understand. They're kind of whispering over your shoulders like, I don't know what he said, but I think he said we should do this. <laughs> Okay. And it's someone you want to listen to because they probably know what they're talking about and they, they, they kind of are paying attention to things. But I wouldn't just be like, oh, so they say we should do this. Okay, let's just go do this blindly. You yeah. don't. You want to see how the market responds, how things scale. And you always want to have that pulse on the people yourself. But you don't want to ignore them wholesale, right? Some people just say, no, 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 we're going to do whatever I see is happening. It's like, no, you want to listen to them. Just you don't want them to be right 100% of the time. You want to be able to test and kind of get into it on your own. Yeah, the testing is a huge component because it, you, 
don't, don't roll it out to 20 stores all at once. Maybe just start with one. Just start with one. <laughs> start with one. Measure the results. Yeah. And by all means, figure out what you're going to do with that data before you yeah. run the test. Because a lot of people want a clear and concise answer. And sometimes there's a lot of gray area where somebody will say, hey, we saw sales going up, but we know it was a hot day. And hot. decide what that criteria is before you run the test to say, if you see this happening, what will you do? Because that eliminates a lot of the debate and a lot of uncertainty. And if you can't reach that point, if you say, well, I, I, if this test shows me this, I'm not sure I'd invest or I'd make this change to my loyalty program or to my products and services. If you're still at that point, then admit to yourself that it may not be the best test to run because no matter what the insights happen, there's still going to be that yeah. uncertainty to say, will it ever go into action? Yeah. And then, yeah, and then again, it's the same problem we had before. Then we're chasing, we're chasing something that we don't know what we're going to do with and we're just burning through money. Exactly. Which is, I mean, granted, that's what marketers are pretty darn good at. Let's be honest. I mean, we're great yeah. at spending money. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it, it, it's great. Yeah, spend, spending money is easy. Accountability yeah. is hard. Yeah. And, and that's why I kind of like this approach a little bit is to say, we're kind of looking into the future. We're looking into a crystal ball saying, yeah. what do we think is going to happen? And it just so happens that we have a really good crystal ball. And so now once we know that, could we ignore that in our decision-making? And for most businesses, they'll find out they can't. Yeah, just use the scientific method, friends. Like that's <laughs> oh, why we learned that thing, right? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so easy. It's so easy. Yeah. 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 Do you know how easy the stuff is? We, we do try to break it down. And again, again, so I, I always go back to that, that, nice, uh, that nice visual I like to use, which is, you know, like if, if you're a camper in a forest and you're being chased by a bear, you, you don't need to outrun the bear. You just need to outrun other campers. Like that's yeah. enough for success. Like you're never going to be that fast. You're never going to be that perfect. Like people say, well, we can never be this type of company. That's, that's not the goal. The goal is to be the best company you can be. You already were successful because of everything you're doing. Now you're just going to grab onto a little bit more to accelerate that past and grow some share, make a little bit more money. Great stuff. Great stuff. Well, uh, Neil, I'm taking up a ton of your time, but I do have one last question for you that I like to ask yes, every, everybody. Uh, and it's an easy one, I hope. Uh, what's one thing that I can do today that's going to make me better tomorrow? And you can take that any direction you want. <laughs> one thing, one thing that you can do better uh, today. Um, to you make know me what? Better tomorrow. Yeah. What I would do, and this is what what I encourage I encourage people to do is, I encourage people just to run one test today to try something new today. In fact, but not just today, do it tomorrow, do it the day after. Yeah. And I'll, by the way, I'll give you a specific test in a moment. Um, but the reason why I say that is because I find that testing new ideas are generally in the back of people's head when they have time. It's like diet and exercise. I know I need to do this when next year, there's never a good time. So I'm going to push you to make that change. Now here, well, what, what change should I make? Uh, when, when we all get together in May, um, you know, I'll be giving a few of these. I think I'm going to include this one. So you're going to hear this for a second time, but I'll tell you what it is. Uh, if you're offering coupons or promotions, consider making that redemption window shorter. Hmm. Run that as a test. And people will be like, what, what, what is he recommending? Here's the interesting part about it. Intuition <laughs> says, and this is what they, they actually did the study on. They asked people and they said, here's a coupon code for a product. It was a bakery. And for the participants, they had two versions. They had one which went for, I think it was three or four months, another one that expired in two weeks. And they asked people when they gave them the coupon, what's the likelihood that you're going to redeem this coupon? And just as intuition would suggest, people at two weeks are like, yeah, like I got a lot of stuff to do, probably not. The people at three, three to four months, yes, absolutely, plenty of time. <laughs> the results came in and it was the exact opposite. The people that had months procrastinated, 
They lost those coupons. They had other things to do. The people that had it in a short window, they had a sense of urgency. It was top of mind. They didn't want to lose that offer. And so even though the expectations were that the people with the short window would redeem the lowest and the people with the longest would redeem the most, the performance was the exact opposite. People love time pressure. It forces them to get things done. So if you're running a test, that would be the test. Try playing around with the redemption windows of your coupons and see how many people actually redeem them and at what intervals. Awesome. Awesome. So much good stuff. Neil, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Hey, my pleasure, Matt. Thanks for having me. Hey, if you all want to hear more great stories like that, more uh, inspirational stuff and more great insights, you can do that at Car Wash the Podcast, anywhere you are consuming your podcast content. And friends, when you're out there and you're trying to figure out which data you need to collect and how you're going to prioritize it and what to do with it, there's really only one thing you've got to do, and that is keep it clean. Car Wash the Podcast is your source for real stories and real business insights from the experts, both in and out of the car wash industry. Our show helps investors, owners, operators, and managers think about ways to enhance their business. Our podcast is a free on-demand audio program that provides information on the latest trends impacting the industry, tips from successful industry leaders, and inspiration for our listeners. 